And now for something completely different. It's an episode of Asking Podcast, and we're going to talk about probably one of the best things to ever have graced this world, Monty Python. The TV show. And the movies. We have And to. the movies, yes. Yeah, we, but... We can't skip on the Holy Grail, boys. Yeah, <laughs> you not. cannot. Or even Life of Brian, is what I meant. Yeah, who are you? Oh, uh, Mr. Toffee here speaking. There Mr. we Toffee, go. Toffee, shrubbery seller, yes. What? Shrubbery seller? <laughs> shrubbery seller, yeah. I think that's our occupation, right, in the Middle Ages? <laughs> sure, okay. Uh... I am cheese connoisseur eccentric Tom. And I'm an anarcho syndicalist commune. We take it in turns <laughs> to act as executive <laughs> officer for the week. <laughs> also known as Shafik. Yes. Dennis. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, so, as you could probably tell, we are all pretty huge fans of Monty Python. Oh, God. If you but, watch, if you listen to the show, yeah, yeah we yeah. keep mentioning <laughs> but, We have a bit of the randomness and surrealness going on with our shows since the beginning, I guess. Don't you think? Yeah. But, bit, hey, yeah. you know, don't just take it from us. Take it from the likes of Sacha Baron Cohen, uh, Trey and Parker. Uh, George Harrison. George Harrison. Mike Myers. Weda Yankovic. Pretty much every uh, good comedian out there has you know, drawn their inspiration from them. I would agree with you extremely, totally and also um, non-like comedians also I mean their influence has touched so many people and it's visible everywhere I mean not just in the realms of comedy but also I mean in the realms of uh, their writings more or less I mean music art whatsoever I mean they were the first like yeah because like there was also a stint where like you know they would sell albums of comedy and that would sell and I would it was like you know way before our time yeah remember vinyl boys and girls like you know when comedy you would buy comedy on vinyl well, you could do that again now because, you know, time is a flat fucking circle and hipsters are demanding we buy vinyl again. True that, yeah. But, uh, yeah, so let's uh, just say... Uh, Maybe we should also mention why we're doing this because it's like the 50th anniversary? Yeah, it has been 50 years Half a century. Season 50 one years. of the Monty Python Flying Circus. Which dropped around this time, I guess. I would say maybe it's a bit like earlier in the year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, around this time. And I... I I'm pretty sure that it took everyone by surprise. I'm pretty sure it just took Monty Python by surprise because I think they entered the whole... Uh, I mean, they, they put the show together and they didn't expect it to be such a hit and... Goddamn. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, how was everyone introduced to Monty Python? That's a question. Uh, for me, it was the film, definitely. I saw uh, Holy Grail first and I got addicted. And after that, I sourced out the films... I tried to find the TV show. I knew of its existence and there was a brief period of time where they would show it here in Singapore on local TV. Oh, really? But as some oh. godly, ridiculous, like it's like the 1am slot on like the, the art channel. Oh, God. And the, the thing is, right, for insomniac, crazy people like me, like, yep, that's that's the reason to stay awake because it was that and Blackadder. So it was like... At 1am. It's the perfect comedy double bill when you're... Uh, Coming down from uh, vegetables. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah, hey kids, when you're high on vegetables, watch Monty Python. It oh, yeah. bring you down. <laughs> it makes everything makes more sense. Apparently, yes. I don't know. Yeah. What about you, Toffee? Um, I actually am a late bloomer in the Python Circus thing because I, like Shafiq, I've watched the films, but I think this was like around '97, '98 when. I guess that was a time when uh, this show called Mr. Show came up. I was actually showing that to my friends through HBO-ish in a sense. I mean, because at the time, it was mostly streaming. I don't think YouTube never existed at all. So it was like, nah, you YouTube had to find different ways yeah. Yeah, to show, you know, so you got like LimeWire, Kazaa, you know, videos. Oh, you, you got so, it yeah. through the... Uh, the, 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 the p- That's the only way to do it in Malaysia because they're not going to show these kind of shows at all. You have ever. internet in Malaysia then? 
eh, pretty slow internet, but it works. Yeah. It works. Like, <laughs> uh, that, that's, that's not the first time I heard that. <laughs> but anyway, um, yeah. So after showing this to my friends, I'm like, hey, this kind of reminds me of Monty Python. And I was like, what's that? And then, oh my god, you never heard of Monty Python? And then he showed me the film, uh, Holy Grail, and the rest was history, more or less. I ended up watching this, and then Life of Brian, Meaning of Life, and then... The TV shows not so much. It's more like in sketches, mm-hmm. you know, not like bits. Not so much like the. Full you would get episodes. clips on Kazai, like little MPEGs of low quality. Yeah, little, right? M- yeah, little MPEGs and AVI. I files, remember that yeah. era. <laughs> yeah, I and it was glorious because this is like a whole kind of comedy that like just. I mean, it's old, you know, established in the seventies, but it's really groundbreaking stuff, you know, even yeah. up till the nineties, you know. Mm. Yeah, shit. I mean, it seems to be a commonality that is Holy Grail because that was also the first bit of Python I ever saw. Hmm. And uh, like many things in my life, I was showed it by my father. Who, <laughs> uh, the connoisseur of fine quality films. But, I mean, he grew up watching Python on TV. The mm. lucky bastard. Mm. And uh, so we saw that, then we saw Life of Brian, and then he got the box set of the TV series. I have that lying around here somewhere, yeah. actually. And uh, yeah, it was like a, a father-son bonding time where we uh, tried to work our way through the entire box set. We never quite finished before I moved out, but... You know, it was just a nice moment that we just sat there and realized our humor is almost exactly the fucking same. Because he needed to prove to your mother that you were his son. I guess so, yeah. <laughs> See, yeah. he laughs at the same shit I do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think uh, my father's made exactly the same kind of uh, joke before. <laughs> <laughs> but he couldn't explain the brothers, right? Uh, they don't like Python. <laughs> well, I mean, my brother's not been... doesn't have good taste. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, um, I guess it's also like I want to also explore, like, like for us here in Asia, it, it became also a kind of a, I wouldn't say a badge of honor, but a, a mark of who your friends were. Because if you had the friend who didn't get Monty Python, you couldn't hang out with that person. Exactly. Yeah. You yes. needed to find exactly the right bunch of assholes to go and sit down with you and like, hey, I have this VHS tape. It's about, like, medieval times, but it's really hilarious. And it's, I would say also, in, in a way... I would also give it to Python where it kind of influenced me in looking for intelligent comedy. I can't really think of a better way to describe it. Well, no, it. I think that's exactly right because uh, even though Monty Python is surreal and often like very, very silly, mm. it is, you know, written by five uh, <laughs> Oxford, from Oxford Cambridge. graduates Oxford and Assholes, one American right? <laughs> who I'm pretty sure went to Harvard. Close I, enough, huh? Uh, Ivy league right? Yeah, he Harvard. was definitely Ivy League, uh, Gilliam. I don't know exactly his alma mater, but... Mm. So, uh, yeah, maybe for those of you who don't know who uh, Monty Python is, first of all, shame on you. How dare you? <laughs> but uh, secondly, um, let's explore uh, all the way to the beginning. All right, sure. Um, Are we getting in the time machine? Uh, yeah, why not? Uh, why is it a bathtub again? Uh, look, <laughs> it's just the, the most convenient, okay? Stop asking questions. We really need to improve the show budget. Yeah, I know. <coughs> is this still powered by farts? Uh, unfortunately, and uh, since Mr. Toffee's not here, you guys have to figure your way to love it. I prefer it. There's always a, hi- a slight hint of cheese. <laughs> cheese and shame. Christ! <laughs> Mr. Toffee's farts smell like cheese and shame. Lord help And a me. lot of wine, too. Wine farts. <laughs> oh, wine farts are the worst. Jesus. With a hitch. <laughs> wine. It's like a soft, simple kind of. <laughs> is that brie <laughs> and shame thankfully we've arrived at destination so we can stop talking about this um, so uh, to kind of explain to people not from the UK um, the Oxford and Cambridge rivalry thing kind of goes even into Monty Python so, since medieval times yeah so Cleese and Chapman were part of uh, Cambridge yeah. 
and uh, they also met Idol there, but Idol was the year below. He was their junior or something, right? Yes, he was exactly one year younger than them. But uh, they met in the Footlight Review, which is kind of like one of those societies that you have in these ancient fucking universities. Yeah, because television, internet, and apparently sex wasn't invented yet. So what were young men to do? Yeah, what else are going <laughs> to get, you know, privileged white boys to do when they're not studying and drinking? Make each other giggle. Exactly. And then occasionally have gay sex. <laughs> well, one of them did. One yeah. of them did, yes. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, Cleese definitely likes putting on dresses, so who knows? They all like putting on dresses. What are you talking <laughs> That's about? True. That's the best part. You know what? Hands down. Terry Jones, still my favorite nudist. <laughs> I have no idea. Why is he always naked? <laughs> Why is he enjoying himself too Maybe much? Maybe he's just trying to say everything. But yeah, and Jones and Palin were in the Oxford Review, which mm. is very similar, but again, on the Oxford side. Okay, so it was definitely uh, back in the day when young strapping lads were to meet each other at dusk and it shall be comedy and fisticuffs. But hey, shit, it was this or rowing. And uh, <laughs> I think, you know, we're all very lucky that none of them were very sporty. <laughs> I don't think so. I mean, Cleese looks like he played pretty good football. Well, no, Cleese is tall. Like, you know, when you're that He'd tall... He'd be like an amazing midfielder. When you're that tall, you don't even need to be good at sport. You just like put on the field. You just like, just stick your leg yeah. there and you're <laughs> Put your hand decent. down, you know, you can't catch the ball that way. Yeah, or not at rugby, you're great. Just like run in a certain line and like, you know, make sure you hit someone else and there you go, you're a good forward. Mm-hmm. Oh, or well. prop, sorry. Uh, or you rugby heads out. Y- your English card, sir? I don't know. <laughs> My private school card. <laughs> your private school card which is sewn onto your private school jacket <laughs> yeah. so obviously you think that these two would never really meet because you don't tend to mix Oxford and Cambridge well, uh, I, mean, I mean you're from the England yeah what's it like what is Cambridge Oxford I mean is it like uh, are they like looking at each other across a moat or is it I mean, <laughs> a lot less fancy the than thing that? is they're quite far apart they're like two hours away by car Okay, like, but they're in the same city area, right? No, very far apart. Okay, and like, then is there like a very distinct kind of class or a distinct kind of person? Well, the thing is like they're both very similar cities, even in architectural style. Mm-hmm. Um, like, but Cambridge is based in what's called the Fenlands, which is where it used to be very like mossy and like uh, submer- Like there were boat people who lived there until they got drained. What's a boat people? People who went around in boats because it was all like marshes and inland seas. Oh, okay. Yeah. And uh, lots of inbreeding. <laughs> and Oxbridge oh, well, well, is I believe you I've, I, I've seen your family tree oh. <laughs> well my parent, my family isn't from that area so your yeah. great grandmother has your beard <laughs> and to the west is Oxford so they're actually on opposite not opposite but like different like parts of London mm. and uh, fun history facts Oxford was the temporary uh, capital during the English Civil War why? because uh, the king was kicked out of London Okay, and we shall set up a new establishment here in Oxford amongst the marshes. Oxford didn't have marshes. Oh, less marshes. Less marshes. It wasn't marshland. Anyway, whatever. So that's the thing. Like they're very far apart. They only ever really meet when there's like uh, competitions. Okay. Like most famously, the uh, regatta in uh, the, on the. Thames. If you like the row, yeah. Yeah, I mean it's it's worth watching because often they get kind of violent. Really? Well, they, they sometimes hit each other's boat and they start sinking, but there's like... <laughs> oh, okay, that's awesome. Gentlemanly <laughs> sportsmanship sometimes. Sure. <laughs> so, naturally, these two groups wouldn't necessarily meet until, uh, as luck would have it, they both appeared on the Frost Report in 1966. Legendary show. Uh, hosted by David Frost. Yes, that one who interviewed Nixon. That one. Before yeah. he was like a full-on like a legendary journal, he did comedy. Yeah, and then he went back to doing uh, insipid comedy once he did uh, the Nixon thing. 
he couldn't top himself. He was yeah, fine. Yeah, like you can't peak, you know, getting a guy to say if the president does it, it's not illegal. Like, how do you top that in your journalism career? Mm-hmm. Apart from like maybe walking in on uh, Clinton and Lewinsky, or the Queen and Albert, <laughs> the Queen and the her corgis. Stroking the corgis. Hello. <laughs> so, the Frost Report. Happened in 1966, 1967, if I'm not mistaken. I don't know. Yeah, like they, they kind of like met each other, and I, I don't think they walked like directly, directly together, but like they were in passing and they saw each other's work, and there was definitely a mutual respect for each other's um, comedy style. Definitely different approaches to comedy, but they were like, okay, I appreciate what you're doing, I appreciate what you're doing. And after that, uh, Jones, Pillion, and Idol started working together on a show called Do Not Adjust Your Sets. Which ran from 67 to 69. I mean, did you manage to catch any of this back in Merry Old England? No, this this was back in the black and white days. And I'm not sure if that much uh, enough footage is left behind. Because I've seen like... So there were no reruns for yeah. this, were there? I don't uh, think there, so. There are a few reruns, but I mean, it's it's kind of difficult to find. Kind of like um, uh, The Goons. It's like if you yeah, know... Yeah, but The Goons was like more celebrated as a radio show, right? That's, that's true. And... The thing is, like, the BBC had a horrible fire in the 70s, which destroyed a lot of archive footage. So a lot of this is, like, lost the time, right? Yeah, it was, like, the first three seasons of Doctor Who, they only found it somewhere in Uganda, like, when they shipped it over <laughs> okay. for syndication, because, the like, the rest got destroyed in some horrible fire. Jeez. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, obviously, it was quite funny, because it was fairly successful, and I think that if they'd stayed doing that, then... They'd be like, you know, fun little trivia questions to know. Like, oh, you know, Jones, Pillion, Idol, they, they were on that one show. And yeah, it was kind of funny. Can't really remember it that much. Yeah. And uh, it was enough for Thames Television, which was who, uh, by doing the production stuff, offered to make them let them have their own show. And this would have been on ITV. Mm. At the same time, Cleese and Chapman were offered a show on the BBC. Now, I don't, I shouldn't have to explain, but ITV, BBC, they don't like each other. There's, wonder why uh, well because one is the British Broadcasting Corporation which gets government funding and the other one is the scrappy independence which is like kind of strange because it's like for the BBC to offer something like, I mean our legend has it that they offered them a show but they had no idea what the show would be well it's because the BBC even today tends to take a bit of a risk mm. uh, because they are uh, funded by the taxpayer and they don't have to you know count out advertisers they okay. have a far more freedom to Know, try out their shit so you do get some pretty good groundbreaking stuff on the uh, BBC but would it also be like uh, attributed to the fact that a lot of British TV shows barely run more than 12 episodes that too it's like yeah we're taking a risk but it's only 6 episodes uh, if there's a second season it's 12 episodes total and maybe a Christmas special okay. so maybe that's why they were willing to take the I mean, risk that's what I like about British TV they keep it short and sweet uh. they don't try to like keep going on and on and on oh yeah as someone who's currently working through Lucifer yes I really appreciate the British TV TV version of like six episodes and that's your lot and that's it yeah yeah. but uh, you know this could very easily have been like this is the last time they met each other and it would have like gone their own way but as luck would have it Thames Television being a rinky dink uh, television um, uh, production house didn't have studio space for um, Eric Jones and Idol said oh you're gonna have to wait till 1970 which would have meant for a whole year they weren't doing any work True that. Okay. And they probably would have been fine because, you know, they're um, Oxford, Cambridge grads. Yeah, they could have been architects or doctors, but no. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they probably would have been fine, but uh, I think they would have gone bored. So Cleese invited them over to kind of work together. 
Partly because he didn't want to just do a two-man show, and partly because Chapman's not super easy to work with. Yeah, what Legend would be has an alcoholic. It, he... I mean, yeah. not then, uh, but he, it but he was definitely st starting later. to abuse the substance a little bit too much. Because I know for a fact that it was after uh, Holy Grail. Actually, he kind of sobered up for Holy Grail. Because he got sober by Life of Brian. Yeah, and then he was really... Because like, I think it was uh, Chapman basically <laughs> slapped the shit out of him and said, you're going to be the lead of this one also. Yeah. Okay, you have more lines than usual. <laughs> exactly. Uh, because he forgot so many lines in Holy Grail. Hmm. Like, he would often just like forget what he was doing halfway through a scene. You could tell. Yeah. But it, it did add to the charm. Kinda. <laughs> but that low budget kinda charm. Yeah. But Especially that Black Knight scene where he was literally yeah. bewildered. It's like, what's going on in the <laughs> sketch? <laughs> like, completely forgetting like maybe what the hell was going on. <laughs> but hey, so good acting, I guess, or not acting? Well, you know, he's a method actor. No. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But hey, it just goes to show that uh, just like many TV shows, a lot of it kinda happened by accident. Mm -hmm. you know, kind of like how Breaking Bad, the reason why it was set in New Mexico, which gave it its unique feel and atmosphere, was because LA is so fucking expensive they couldn't afford to film there. True that, yeah. So they said, oh, Albuquerque, it's super cheap and the cops are fucking crazy, so you can easily fit some kind of like gangland scene in here. Mm -hmm. So it, that's how it got together. And then they finally started creating Untitled uh, Sketch Show. Yeah, and, that was the original title. I remember that. Yeah, and so they, like they came up with all kinds of weird ass names, like uh, to twist an owl or something along those lines. Yeah, and no one exactly can remember how they came up with Flying Circus. They just all agreed it was kind of funny because it makes <laughs> no it sense. Yes. <laughs> and once they came up to that, they started writing it. And I looked up into their writing um, style, and it's very interesting because it wasn't like you know they all sat in one big room and like joined together it no they all pieced separate. it together yeah so Cleese and Chapman would write together yeah they would pair up yeah and then Jones and Palin would also pair up together Ida would write by himself and Gillian Gillian would just go off and like sketch shit mm. yeah but the thing is he wasn't joined yet he joined the closer to when production like got full swing yeah because they needed titles I remember that story yeah, <laughs> and, yeah like they needed titles and then Cleese was like Oh, I think I remember some weird Yank I met while I was on tour in the States. He was very weird, working for Mad or something. And then Peter went, Oh, you mean the guy who did our titles for um, Do Not Just Your Set? Yeah, let's be guy. <laughs> yep. And that's what happened. And so they would write separately and then they would come together and then they'd democratically vote what was funny, what wasn't funny. No, that's like very reminiscent of how like the Beastie Boys write their raps because they all write individual lines. And I think... What I think it's do... also like how the Beatles wrote their songs. Yeah, I mean, but the Beatles also you can kind of attribute it more to like John and uh, Paul arguing. Yeah. George would write that one or two songs and then Ringo had... Go like, hey guys, I got one. I wrote Octopus Garden. <laughs> That's a nice one. I like it's it. It's a pleasant song. Oh, bless Ringo. Yeah. Yes, He's still God the worst Ringo. Beatle. <laughs> but we still love you regardless. Yeah. <laughs> He's kind of like, you know, the runt of the litter. God. Well, he's the one who's still alive. Well, Paul McCartney. Next well, to Paul. Yeah. Oh, no, Paul's dead inside, so yeah. <laughs> 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 you know, Stella McCartney kind of sucked him dry. And oh. Heather Mills. And, yeah. and, who and, and, oh well. Who else? Everybody yeah. else. Okay, but you know, speaking of people who funded the Pythons. <laughs> uh, yeah, that is an interesting story. Like, yeah. Tom, maybe just recap that bit. Like, I think that will be much that, later during the films. That's in the film series. Like, uh, for now, because they're on the BBC, they got BBC funding. Mm -hmm. And so... Which uh, I would feel contributed to the very uh, slapdash vibe of the show because it did feel... I mean, I'm trying to imagine myself as like, you know, back in those days, right? And when you're... Uh, 
Like, if you want to compare, like, their only influences was probably the Goon Squad. And, mm-hmm. like, what they did also with their other various aspects before they became a unit did have hints of it. But it's something about this show where it took it, it skyrocketed to a new stratosphere in a, weirdness. I think it's a mixture of, like, a friendly rivalry, um, like, uh, you know, mutual respect for yeah. those talents. And just the realization, holy shit, the BBC is giving us money. And we have no idea what to do, and let's we have a budget. Go, let's go <laughs> yeah. fuck, fucking buck wild and see what gets uh, through. And, and, and I think right. surprisingly more sketches got approved than they expected. <laughs> 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 no, but I also do love like those random episodes where they would show letters from the BBC and Cleese would read it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, yeah, just, just sort of like, we would oh. like to complain that uh, from the Birdwatchers Union of England, <laughs> it's like, uh, okay, and it's, apparently a lot of them were actual letters, people complaining, oh, this yeah. show does not make any sense whatsoever, I find it a waste of television. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> actual letters, holy Actual crap. letters. Right. Hey, you know how sometimes there's a, f- a fun uh, lark to go through Steam reviews? No, it's exactly the same thing I here. think they invented yeah, yeah. that, they invented the funny that review. That concept. Yeah. yeah. So, the first season came out, and... It's, I think to this day you can see why it uh, took the nation by storm. Yeah, it took the world by storm because not quite. It took a uh, while for the rest of the world to get it, but yeah. definitely the first two seasons did extremely goddamn well. In I the mean, UK. but what I'm trying to say was also like by the time it like it it kind of ran its course in the UK and it started like you know being syndicated in like parts of the world and like you could also imagine like maybe here in Asia or all the way in America people were like what is this madness what is this absolute insane bullshit <laughs> and why, and does why it- do I like it <laughs> yeah. I mean not only that because the thing is right it was uh, a lot of the comedy had to do with uh, taking British ideals and stereotypes and archetypes and uh, turning it on its head because you'd have like uh, I love what they do with the police officers or the bobbies right? you follow yeah. that you know, and it, they usually have the most ridiculous, uh, uh, like they would represent censorship or like maybe even the BBC, where they would interrupt sketches halfway and like, okay, stop that. This is too ridiculous. Oh yeah, the <laughs> the officer stopping uh, sketch really got too silly. I, I love yeah. that shit because it, it it it's like it was also commentary on how like British people viewed themselves. Mm-hmm. You know, because I I would expect that it had very strong conservative values. Uh, Around that time, I don't know. In the, I mean, especially in in, in the sense of late like late sixties, early seventies. I'm trying to remember who was in power. I think this was around the Heath time. Mm. So this was definitely a conservative government. Okay. Uh, but you know, it's like the like near the end of like you know the hippie revolution. It's like we've joined the seventies reactionary. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, they were definitely reacting to the counterculture, and then like there was a sense of free love, free spiritedness, and uh, probably a bit of drug use. <laughs> Oh, but, but you, the Chapman for fucking certain. I'm pretty sure all of them, sir. Yeah, all of them. But I think Chapman uh, was. But like Chapman's the one level. that's kind of public in that sense, right? People are more renowned for his abuse of substance, right? Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm not sure like how super clear it was, but I think the people who knew what the signs were knew what the signs knew that what they were seeing. But mm-hmm. like, yeah, you know, back to the, the sketches themselves. Yeah. Like yeah. season one, we get the, the parrot sketch. Which, yes. look, even if you're not a Monty Python fan, you've probably heard of that that Paris sketch. You've even or probably some seen thereof. the remix. Uh, you've probably seen the South Park version or something. Which yeah. actually, actually is they did. very, very yeah, good. They did. Yeah, because yeah. I think they worked with Gilliam for like to make that one. Really? Yeah, because like a version of a Gilliam uh, cartoon picks up Cartman and starts talking to him. Oh, yeah, epic. I don't know, but uh, it's it's paper cut animation. Yeah. So of course, it's very, it's very adorable. Very I mean, like if you don't mind, I also want to kind of explore the fact that. Uh, the thing is, like, the Poitons were always representing, like, staunch, very 
prim and proper members of society with absurdist connotations and then like you also have to understand like around that time it was the hippie movement mm-hmm. uh, Dadaism was coming into play there was a lot of experimentation not only with music and with also uh, lifestyles oh, and culture yeah. you also like uh, did you think it was probably a conscious attempt to be relevant with the kids which I don't think is the case at all because I don't think so I think it's more just like these were all very clearly brilliant comedic writers who was exploring the, the very limits of what could be said or done on television yeah, and right? I think they just it was a wonderful uh, uh, convergence of uh, you know coincidences and opportunities because yeah. it was a time when there was still a fair amount of funding for the BBC for this kind of art stuff. Yeah, true that. Yeah. There was, I think, a lot of relaxation of censors. Like, mm. they're still there. Like, they had to, like, fight for it to get some stuff through. But There's random nudity here and there, too. Yeah, but <laughs> there's definitely, like, there was some, like, notching down of, like, okay, well, let this shit happen. Mm. Uh, I think they still weren't allowed to swear, but they got around it some in some sketches, I think, uh, at the end. They'll just do it in other languages. That's how brilliant they are. <laughs> oh, yeah, like the Hungarian stuff. Was, yeah, <laughs> brilliant. <laughs> I would say I mean also at the same time I also want to kind of mention the fact that I think it's very hard for people to really quite nail or pinpoint what is the true source for the absurdist uh, and the, the more surreal aspects because you could look at the goon show and like it was smart comedy and it was a play on the visuals in your mind because a lot of it was like radio and spoken word right yeah it was I think it was a purely a radio show Spike Milligan went on to do something else yeah. on TV and Peter Sellers became Peter Sellers yeah <laughs> yeah and also like I think like to me like a lot of people will point to the goons as a, a definite inspiration I think even the Pythons would admit it themselves uh. oh, yeah because like they were also part of oh god I can't remember the name of the group which were like the no, the Oxford Review started as like a lampooning like mm. satirical group yeah and then Spike Milligan went on to do that yeah and you know, at the same time during the in the footlights was the Goonies, mm. who were also um, at the same time. Man, the sixties and seventies had fantastic comedy on screen. Yeah, all around the world. Yeah, <laughs> I but, Yeah, I mean, in the UK especially, there was some truly amazing stuff going on. So I would also want to say that this is to me the birth of postmodern comedy. I mean, sure. even though you, I can point to other like um, comedy acts or comedians like before or after but, but I would say this is definitely like cementing the idea of this is of, what I think popularized it and made everyone yeah. suddenly aware of it you know and then the, the way it references self references and kept breaking the fourth wall and kept like you know uh, distorting your perspective on what you were watching this is definitely like postmodern satire because yeah. for a while it's like oh this is just zany weirdness and you realize oh wait no this is satire or something some, yeah, most of the time, yeah, and it's usually to do with area. British culture and comedy, and I think that's yeah. what the kids were probably latching onto because I'm pretty sure you can't explicitly say certain things about the BBC or the the government or even like the royal family, but they got around it somehow, and usually they it's through certainly did through, through clever writing, through symbolism, uh, through weird animation, yeah, like every once in a while, you know, like there'll be a joke and then it'll intercut it with an animation of some. A member of the royal family uh, flying across the sky. <laughs> yeah, I mean, shit, it might well be that the censors just had no fucking idea of what was going on. Like, yeah, sure, whatever. Surprise <laughs> no me. This. Yes. <laughs> and I think, like, this will go on for a bit, right, until the video nasties era, which is going to be much later, right? It's like yeah. late 70s, early 80s. Yeah. But unfortunately, the Monty Python TV show didn't last that long. It was four seasons, which was pretty good. Wasn't it a good run? Well, after season three, John Cleese said uh, he wanted out and he left. Yep. And he gave the reason of, 
well, I don't feel like I'm contributing anything anymore. He said, like, even in season three, yeah, a lot he was... of what he wrote was just, like, rehashing old material. Now, that's his side of the story. Palin said, in a later uh, memoir, he was also a fucking pompous, arrogant prick. That's what I love about him. we couldn't him. stand him. He <laughs> was really funny, but we couldn't stand him. Yes. And, you know, I could totally believe that. Just look at the way John Cleese talks... Full stop. Just the way he acts. That's not a bit. That's truly him. I guess no. I mean, I think what I love about him is he has got that uh, element of, um, I don't know, I wouldn't say resentment, but I would say contempt for society. uh, Which does add to some of the more acerbic bits of like the movies and definitely the TV show. Let's just say... Like, him angry is awesome. Oh, yeah. (laughs) And, uh... Bloody communists! I hate him, I hate him! When you hear it on radio or on visuals, you know it's from John Cleese. Yes, you know it's from him. Which, um... Which I also love it when he ever plays a person of authority and he's just talking down to like the likes of like oh, no, Palin or whatever. It's brilliant whenever he plays someone who's upper class because he sells it so goddamn. He well. is a yes. brilliant asshole. He was born to be an aristocrat. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep, <laughs> I agree. <laughs> so and you know who else? Who? Actual aristocrats. That's who. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, hey. there was an interview with one of those real landed aristocrats on TV uh, not a while back. And he literally spoke like, Who the? What's the problem with me having a great learner? Like, he literally, that was actually how he spoke. Oh, man. I mean, I think Eddie <laughs> Izzard, who is definitely a protege of the Pythons, oh, had, a, sure. had a great bit where it's like, You know, whenever you meet rich people and they spoke to you as if their arms had no bones, Hello. Hello. <laughs> and what do you do? A plumber. Oh, what on earth is that? <laughs> I love the fact that if you talk about the Pythons, you can talk about your favorite comedian, and yep, there's they, a link. They definitely <laughs> have the link. Like, shit, we could talk about Wera Yankovic because that he's, he's influenced by those guys. That's for oh, sure, like, definitely. He pretty much just like bows to the altar of Eric Idle. Yep. Yeah, I would say that. But <laughs> yeah, with the leaving of Cleese for uh, before season four, you realize what made um, all the sketches distinct, and when you rewatch them, you can see who wrote which ones. Hmm. True that, true that. Because um, uh, Jones and Palin like doing like weird, zany visual stuff. Yeah. So they like creating characters who had like weird, like, like just like they would do weird things and having weird fantastical settings. Which, which I appreciated the yeah, most. I actually. don't like making people with speech impediments. Like a very niche thing. But not only that, like he he also also the writer of Nudge Nudge Wink Wink. Yeah, and well, like, yeah, anything who had like a, a, a kind of tick. And he it. was also like one of my favorite. from the four Yorkshireman sketch. Like yeah. he's the one. Oh, we slept in a hole on the ground with a bit of top horn to cover his leg. Like he, I think he's a he's a fan of language and song. I mean, because yeah. he's the one who does do, do more of the musical jokes. So I think it would make sense that he would be somebody who would break apart language and pronunciation and syntax and cadence and use that to his comedy. Which, mm-hmm. I mean, he I'm- wrote. One of the best closing songs of all time. <laughs> yes, he did. Which will <laughs> oh, get you yeah. much, We're much gonna later. Get there. Yeah. Look, there's so much foreshadowing going on in this episode. Yeah. Yes, we should. And you can also tell that he works by himself because a lot of the sketches feel kind of like insular, kind of like a single person's yeah. uh, point of view. Whereas Cleese and Chapman, oh, they love showing uh, argumentative sketches. Yeah, through that. <laughs> so, the argument uh, workshop. Argument clinic. A lot yep. of the crap, all the confrontational skills. Pretty much any time Cleese was shouting, that was his material. <laughs> you kind of get the feeling that he needed some kind of therapy. Like some outlet. <laughs> some sort yeah. of outlet. 
no, like just look at him as the Frenchman like cussing out the knights. <laughs> like yeah. that that's classic please. Your father was a hamster. Yeah. <laughs> Your mother but smelled of elderberries. What does that even mean? Nothing. <laughs> it's just so funny, I don't care, honestly. I think he just wanted to shout at people. Can I just say this? Argument Clinic, probably one of the best ones of all time. Uh no it isn't. Definitely. Definitely. Uh, <laughs> yes it is. No it isn't. Are we doing it? Yes we are. Yes. No, this isn't not. an argument. You can't just have gained the automatic naysaying of what the other person says. Yes you can. There's just a contradiction. No it's not. Yes it is. No it's not. Yes it is. No it's not. Yes it is. No it's not. <laughs> now you join in. Oh fuck that punchline. Popcorn here dude. I love the, I love even the punchline you know. Because like, like if you watch the actual episode it's because they've been doing that the entire way through. <laughs> he actually walked into a room where oh this is the room where we pit, hit people in the head with mallets. <laughs> what? <laughs> Very good. <laughs> Why is and that? Speaking of yeah, and speaking of punchlines, they actually do subvert a lot of expectations. Like when it's you're expecting something, it's either a weak ass punchline or nothing happens, and it's, animation comes in. And yeah. it's because every single one of them hates punchlines. Yep. Yeah. Was, I think that's like the the third pillar of Monty Python. Yeah. It was working uh, like individually, mutual respect, and hating a punchline. <laughs> And dressing extremely sassy. No, four, the four pillars <laughs> of writing good Mighty Five and sketches. No, no, the fifth. What? <laughs> I'm going to do it again. Well, dressing in drag and speaking like a woman, old woman. Yeah. That's all good. And that's the cornerstone. Not, that's not true. That's cornerstone. cornerstone. That's the cornerstone. No, that's just what they did in their spare time. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> fair and enough. They happen to be filming half of it. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, that's just what made a TV show so great. And you realize that it only worked when all six were working together. Because once Cleese left season four, had something missing. Yeah, there's definitely some of it spots here. And also, it didn't help that that was like the peak of Chapman's descent into alcoholism. Yep. Um, yeah. Uh, but, I don't know. I mean, it was... I mean, yeah, every show must have at least its down point, right? But I mean, every, nothing is perfect. Every group needs their bad boy. Yeah. Yeah, but I don't know. To me, the bad boy will always be Cleese. Cleese is the yeah. one who was definitely the rock star amongst all of them. Cleese was the rock star and then, yeah, Chapman was the black sheep. Yeah. To me, I would think of Chapman more as the tragic genius. Maybe. Because, like, amongst the f- the the lot of them, right, he was the one, like, I, I loved how Cleese put, like, why did you make uh, Chapman the king and make him Brian? Because amongst the, all of us, he's the only one who actually looks like a movie star. <laughs> That's true. He was definitely the, the most handsome of the lot. Yes, he was. You know, and also the prettiest. Him as a woman, oh, absolutely. somehow ravishing. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, that's pretty much all we really have to say about the TV show as it stands in the UK. It then went on, like, first to Canada in 1971. Yeah. Where, for some reason, they showed the first six episodes of season one, the, the last half of season two, mm. and then just got rid of it. I mean... There's evidence of that because uh, Mike Myers, who watched it on TV back in those days, you know, oh yeah, you can literally when you hear "fat fat bastard," you hear Tim the Enchanter. <laughs> yes, absolutely. It's the exact same voice. That's if you hear Shrek, it's also Tim the Enchanter. That's his. his he he got his Scottish accent from John Cleese, who yes. also didn't actually do quite a good Scottish accent, to be honest. <laughs> yeah. So it's like, oh yeah, diminishing returns. <laughs> Just like Mike Myers' career. Oh. Well. Until Wayne's World hey, 3. It peaked, it peaked at the time, yes. Yeah, he peaked. He peaked at So, so I Married an Ex-Murderer and maybe his attempt at drama. No, wait, he was in Inglorious Bastards, yeah. But Still doing more, the English accent. That was more a cameo. Yeah, and then Shrek was like 2000-ish, right? Shrek recall? is... yeah, 2001. That's, that's the bread, butter, bread and butters. Because that was, that was still when John can... No, Chris Farley, he was alive. Yeah, Chris Farley passed away and then uh, Mike Myers had to take over his friend's role. Yeah. Rest in peace, Chris Farley. You deserve an episode, sir. 
One yeah. day. One day. One day we'll get around to you. Um, what was I saying? Oh yeah, and but the Canada thing I bring up because that's the first example of fans shouting loudly enough to get what they wanted. Because after hundreds of complaints, uh, the CBC, the Canadian Broadcast Corporation, showed all of seasons one and two, and maybe season three. Hmm. And then America finally got it when they released, and now for something completely different, which was the film version of the sketch of all like all the sketches reshot on a real budget with film. <laughs> yeah, and it was an absolute flop in the states. Yeah, it was at first ahead right, of its became, time. We want to yeah. say it was ahead of its... well, like two years of its time because like the midnight movie circuit made it. Famous. But out of all of the sh- the movies, that's the one that's the weakest to me. Well, because it's literally just rehashing all material. Yeah, but you do. And that. from the perspective of people outside of the UK, it's actually brand new for them, right? So, well, I wouldn't I say that. that. I would say along the lines of like it felt practiced. It didn't feel. It didn't have the kind of zany, uh, spontaneous quality that the TV show had. And I think without the context of the TV show, a lot of those didn't really quite work. It felt like watching an art film, more or less. But I do appreciate random exploding trees and John Cleese on a <laughs> on a mobile <laughs> desk for some reason, like. But yeah, those those interstitials are next level. Yeah, and I also totally uh, enjoyed a self defense class with fresh fruit. That version, I think, is the superior version. Yeah. <laughs> but you I mean if you want to watch um, enough of something to be different, you can. But really, just watch a TV show. They're better. But yeah, maybe that self defense class. That mm. limited budget kind of charm per se. I mean, for a TV show. Yeah, it maybe was TV why. sketches filmed on film. But with a TV budget, with a TV director, true. It was like not designed super well. And I will say this right: using a self-defense class as a, a marker for the film and for the TV show, that fake tiger that appeared <laughs> at the end of the TV <laughs> version was <laughs> gloriously ridiculous. It's actually just a taxidermy tiger just moving past. <laughs> <laughs> just that was. You weren't expecting it when you watched it the first time. That's what I love about that. No, you know, and the thing is, right, seeing Terry Jones get squashed by that giant weight first. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's like, okay, the way it bounces off of him slightly. It's like, okay, this is kind of Looney Tunes. And what do you do in this situation? Aha, then you get, you get a tiger? <laughs> I'm not going to shoot you. It was exactly 16 you. tons whenever they had some large weight drop. What is that in kilograms? Uh, 1,600. <laughs> six, Your metric card, sir? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> 16,000 kilos. Oh, wait, do you use empirical? Or, no, you don't use... A ton is a ton. They're equal in imperial and uh, metric. Really? Yeah. A ton is uh, how many kilos? 1,000 kilos. Really? 1,000 <laughs> kilograms, yeah. Mm-hmm. Then why even use tons in the first place? How uh, much is a stone? shorter, I guess. <laughs> oh, God. Let's see. Uh, they're 2.2 pounds to the kilo. And there are... British pounds or just regular pounds? Regular pounds. And yeah, then... well, yeah, this is a sketch in the making, more or less. No, we, we have to. And then there are 12 pounds to a stone. Okay. Yeah. So it's a 12 pound stone there, Sha. Yes, I guess so. <laughs> yeah, God, I'm so glad that the metric system exists because the imperial measurements How are How many stone for dumb. six inches, sir? <laughs> I feel triggered and defensive at the same time. <laughs> Uh, what were we talking about? Multi-Python. Yeah, now for something Meters completely different. Now for staying on track, which is very rare for us. Yeah, but it's careening back on course. After the TV show, we have what I think Python is most famous for, the movies. Specifically, the middle two. Mm-hmm. So, first off, of course, we have to talk about 
Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Dun, 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 dun. Camelot. Now, <laughs> Camelot. Camelot. This is. Uh, Can we just recite all the sketches? I think the Last King fans want to hear that. <laughs> you guys do it. Uh, my buddy, memory. You're, you're, you're not gonna be in this one. Nah, you guys go ahead. Dude. Okay, you just say me. <laughs> I'll signal you. <laughs> nah. Okay, so we have to talk about why this totally works. So, I, I can explain it in one sentence. <laughs> no. <laughs> How do you know she's a witch? <laughs> <laughs> I think the one thing, you know you're watching something special when the subtitles start fucking with you, more or less, when you watch the film the first time. Oh, you know, the, yeah. the Swedish bits. Because no, yeah. it starts off as like, it looks like it's meant to be a kind of light-hearted uh, family sitcom movie. <laughs> what? No, it wasn't. It, it has some like dark music with black screen yeah, and that's white text. Yeah, that's the line. Starts... Abu Swan's bit my sister. What the fuck was that? No, <laughs> why are you reading the subtitles? No, it starts with like a guy like driving, like I think like happily in like a pickup truck somewhere. Then it cuts, and then it starts with a black screen, okay. and there's the subtitles, and then it cuts again, and then it's like the weird flashy stuff. Oh yeah, the one the Mexican music playing, right? Yeah, all the various llamas. A moose bit my sister once. Sure. We fired... No, they didn't say fight, they said sack. We sacked the guys who wrote the subtitles. Yeah. And then they sacked the guys who sacked the guys. Oh yeah, I think that's... I would say this, right? I agree with John in the in the sense that that's the first movie that actually fucked with me. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I did see Kentucky Fried movie and I thought to myself, oh, this is a series of very zany and wacky like sketches. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, pro- shouts to John Landis who also deserves his own episode one day. Yeah. Uh, but also, but then, like, Monty Python felt like um, I don't know. It attacked me at a cerebral level. I would say that. I would say that when I mentioned earlier that this was, I would say, the first taste of intelligent comedy. Because I, yeah, that that shit blew my mind as what a twelve year old when I saw this. First. I was around that age too. I was definitely just entering high school, and like you have to understand my sensibilities then, right? Was like, uh, the biggest comedy show at that time was Friends. Oh yeah. But I was the guy who liked Seinfeld. Oh mm, you're yeah, one of yeah, yeah. So and the thing is, I was the guy who liked Seinfeld and The Critic. And it's oh like, yes, the critic. I was that also really, deserves his own episode. Yeah. That also deserves his own episode. Okay, shout out to John Lovitz, who apparently is a piece of shit. But I, I, don't think, I love that, that show too much. I need yeah. to talk about it. Uh, but then, I would say, like, remember when I, I mentioned earlier that it, this was a test marker to see who your true friends were? Yeah. And I think, uh, I would say, rose tinted glasses, definitely, because this was definitely bonding with who would be your best friends for the rest of your life. Yeah, although... Because these are the guys you stick around with. Uh. I would say so, because it this movie is so infinitely quotable. Of course, yes, it is. Yeah. And well, it's because, like, because most, uh, well, about half of this movie are reject- rejected drafts from the TV show. Kind of loosely uh, stitched together. Which it, blows my mind because these were the rejected ones. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Why a, are they so funny if they're rejected in the first place? Which is reject- what I've been asking. You know? I think they got rejected because uh, they probably couldn't afford to shoot on location that often. And they got a castle. <laughs> they got Elton John and George Harrison money. How do you, yeah, yeah. Explain how do you that. validate oh, any of that? Oh, no, they got that money because their um, the accountants for those rock stars said, oh, this is a really good way to write off for taxes. <laughs> <laughs> no, seriously, that's what happened. Yeah, so it's Elton John and who else again did you mention? Uh, Led Zeppelin. Led Zeppelin. Yeah, George uh, Harrison definitely because he was... Uh, 20 of, there's just basically 20 various rock stars, British yeah. rock stars. I mean, but I think George Harrison was definitely at the forefront because he started his production company, that Handmade was, Films. That was for Life of Brian. Uh, for the next one. Yeah. 
but he did fund the first one, right? He did fund the which first one, but I think him just to, like, okay, yeah, sure, whatever. I'll make all of them. <laughs> you yeah. still need money? What? <laughs> I think this was before he got divorced. I was like, yeah, sure, I've got plenty of money. So, the fun facts um, about the fact that it still feels a bit kind of disconnected and very loosely connected. That's exactly how Arthurian myth reads. Uh, I don't know about you guys, but I was forced to read, like, the de facto Arthurian book, Le Mort d'Arthur. For um, something in school. I read it in my spare time because I'm that guy. Oh, okay. <laughs> and it is a horrendous book. I had pictures though. It was quite nice. Uh, good for you. I did not. <laughs> oh, you had the textbook version. I had a textbook version. And uh, this was before we had such wonderful things as like quotation marks. So mm. what was the or, start? Or commas. <laughs> yeah, what was the start and end of a sentence was entirely up to your own interpretation. I remember that. But what else can we say about uh, Holy Grail? If you don't know... A lot? Can we? Can we? Yeah, let's, let's just yeah, talk there's about... There's a lot of good things we can Because if you don't this. know about Holy Grail, what the fuck is wrong with you? <laughs> it's on Netflix. It's on everywhere. You can get bits of it. Some some lovely genius probably posted the whole thing on like YouTube. It's definitely... Well, like, it probably was on YouTube, but then I think the Pythons uh, got it back. But... I'm pretty sure there's some guy out there who has it in reverse. <laughs> yeah. With the audio a little bit quieter. The mirrored version, yeah. <laughs> Which still works, apparently. I don't know. I yeah, mean... And speaking of uh, still works, this movie, I'm pretty much convinced you can watch in a thousand years' time. It's still hilarious. Adjusting for language barriers is still fucking hilarious. You know, this is one of the few movies I show to random friends and they love it, but they don't see any interest in watching anything else. Well, I guess like the only other one I would recommend is Life of Brian to a casual viewer. Yeah, but Life of Brian is actually you gotta be really into Python to appreciate that movie because that is their smartest movie, I would yeah, say. Especially it the is, part where the alien fucking appears for no goddamn reason. Because they had a budget all of a sudden. Yeah, like we have nine million dollars. What the fuck? No, what, we, we have can make four... this two aliens of weird ass. No, eyes. we have four million dollars. What the fuck are we gonna do with four million dollars? I also love like the the little side note where like they filmed in Tunisia, which con- was it before or after Star Wars? This is this, this was seventy eight, seventy nine, right? Seventy nine. So it would have been around the same time. They might have bumped into each other. That's the thing. They could have just seen each other, <laughs> but like, hey, what's going on over there? Maybe so, they were I know hand some me- space shit. Maybe there's some hand me down aliens who were passed on to the Pythons. You need some aliens? We got two spare. <laughs> <laughs> actually, that would have been next level if it was actually like two random aliens from a cantina scene. Hmm. Yeah, it would be. I would have loved the Wolfman <coughs> and the guy with the fucked up eye. <laughs> uh, <yeah>. That one. <laughs> well, yeah, I don't know. I think like the like the guys from the Cantina band would have been great. I have a bit of a challenge for you boys. Yeah. Worst sketch, or worst moment of like of Holy Grail. What is the one that one down point for you guys? Uh, I would say that much as I appreciate the joke, the ending is a literal cop out. They ran out of matri- yes. money literally at that point. Yeah, because like they hired so many extras for that one scene, and then it ends in such a horrible by like, just denouement. No, but I also love the fact that they, they, they fixed that in the game that came out around ninety six or ninety. Nah, they didn't. That's random as fuck too. Uh, I would say this right. I love how they worked around that by having. The, the historian who gets slain by the and guy. Then like <laughs> and then it follows up. It and then lady, up. that's him! That's the one! <laughs> that's hilarious. That's like, a nice build-up. Well, you know what? Worth it. I'd have to wonder, like, because that's the only horse that appears in the entire movie. Yeah. So when did they shoot that film? Because 
because they didn't have no, it was, for the rest it was of it. definitely during right, post production. Right yeah. It's like, by that time, we finally could afford a horse and we just used it for an insert. Like, sure. Yeah, like, how are we going to end this movie? I have a great idea. <laughs> no. No, wrong movie. You don't. Yes. You don't end the movie. You end it where it's supposed to end. Yes. <laughs> At that moment. Yeah, uh, like, like like we've mentioned before, they hate punchlines. So this is probably the best way to end the film. The, the anti-punchline. Yeah, huh? yes. a literal cop-out. The cops are taking you out. Yeah, <laughs> yep, exactly. Yeah, and I also love the fact is the police officer puts his hand on the camera. All right, all right, it's done. Stop it's, that. Stop that. And then it's like the same zany music from the intermission. <laughs> and like, okay, so for the first when the first time you watched that, what was your initial reaction after that movie ended? I was just like, huh. I was kind of disappointed because I was looking forward to like the last uh, by uh, cl- climactic scene. Yeah. and it was taken away from me mm. and at first I was a bit resentful and then I realised oh wait no that's actually the fucking joke mm-hmm. <laughs> I was I, expecting something like a Blazing Saddles ending but apparently well, too, the, in that respect, is yeah. the other spectrum <laughs> <laughs> that is literally on the other side yeah, this is Mel Brooks opposite. with a budget <laughs> breaking the fourth wall of the studio and the fourth wall of that of the, of, of the, of the movie lot like, yep. there's a lot of fourth wall she's breaking right now. Exactly. <laughs> fucking Dom de Luis is, is just like some Vivanta, like, you know, dance instructor. What is going on? <laughs> this used to be a... Co- no, okay. I'm My- just trying to think, like, of all the scenes that have, maybe not are the worst, but have aged the worst. Like, mm-hmm. the one which uh, has the least impact on me is maybe the Castle Anthrax scene. Why? I love that one. Oh, it's great, but I feel like I enjoyed it more after I read about what Galahad is meant to be like in the myth. Which is? Uh, okay, because he's okay. Sir Galahad the Chaste. Yeah, in the Python. No, in the in the Arthurian myth as well. Okay, and? Like, he literally just doesn't, like, because he literally doesn't give a shit about women. Okay. So, it makes the whole joke about, like, the nuns trying to seduce him more funny when you realize, like, like that's the satire they're meant to be. But I love the punchline for that entire scene. Where Lancelot rescues him. I bet you're gay. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm not. <laughs> I, I can handle the peril myself. Look, I can, I can do it single-handedly. <laughs> but yeah, I don't know, because everything is just so perfect, both as part of the wider narrative and as its own scene. For me, the weakest one is Knights of Me. That gets annoying. I think that one is more uh, because it's overplayed by people who've watched the film. Not just that, like even that then, to me, that felt like the the point in the movie where it's like, okay, it's it's gonna, it's. But then again, I appreciate it for the dynamics because when they did the bridge scene, yes, yes, yes. which floors everybody, and I will, I will not spoil that because that is something you have to witness in all its glory. <laughs> Look, it's the old man from scene twenty seven, <laughs> 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 and then the. What happens to those assholes? God damn! If you, okay, it if you haven't funny. seen a movie that's literally decades old, right? A movie that could possibly be older than me? No, 78, 79? 79. No, 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 it was way Five, before that. Uh, yeah, yeah. This movie is definitely older than me. <laughs> it's like, you know, I'm gonna spoil all the other jokes, but for you motherfuckers this one, out there, the bridge. The, okay, I'm not even gonna mention anything else. But yes. That bridge scene is next level. Also, god <laughs> damn it. And the thing is, it's Best a punchline from the intro. Motherfucker. Yes. <laughs> uh, Talk about a reach around. <laughs> it's like, you went all the way there. <laughs> this is, yeah, probably the best callback scene of any movie. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that is the best Chekhov's, Ch- 
Chuck- yeah, yeah, the second- Chekhov Sparrow, maybe. <laughs> the second best Chekhov's gun is the literal flamethrower. <laughs> no, it's, it's, the, it's the little Chekhov's gun. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Or a heart attack, per se. Yes. What? Oh, from the animator? <laughs> when they had to fight the Black Beast of... Ah! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just hearing... Yeah, just, yeah, just hearing the accent. Oh, fuck yes. that nonsense. It was just really uh, like, Oh, you must go to the castle. Ah! No, no. <laughs> Could it have been a Saint Ah? No, no that's Saint Ives. <laughs> Is it not saying ah's and cobble? Not saying ives. You think it's about like a mug? What is that? France, I think. <laughs> oh, it's just, it just remind me of like fucking uh, Palin as uh, Sir Bedivere. He has a whole this fucking visor open. I love that. Yeah. I love that ridiculousness. <laughs> Why are you so wise in the ways of creatures? Uh, I am Arthur, king of the Britons. My liege. <laughs> I am honoured. Oh god, best punchline. A duck. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they made that fucking hilarious. Exactly. That, that floors me to this day. It's like I know what's coming. I know I know exactly what they're saying and where this goes. But every time fucking King Arthur just appears out of nowhere, it's <laughs> a duck. duck. <laughs> With that confidence and that classic Graham Chapman, like, oh. It's like, and I love how everybody in the village turns to him and like <gasps> exactly exactly now if she weighs the shape as a duck then she yeah, just putting the pieces together which means here, yeah. a witch a witch <laughs> and therefore oh god like, she turned me into a newt a I got, newt I got better I got better <laughs> uh, Multiply and the Holy Grain, thank you so much for all these decades of comedy and for basically, yeah, yeah, influencing everything. Thank you for every time I've randomly remembered a scene from a movie and giggled out loud like a maniac. And also angry Frenchmen as well, as we've mentioned before. (laughs) I don't care. My rating... Uh, this is an honest 10 upon 10. This movie yeah. is near perfection to the point where it, it has to be perfection. Absolutely. Even the flaws. is like, yeah, this is uh, greatest it, of all. It's so good of... that if you'd given it more of a budget, it wouldn't be as funny. I don't think so. I think yeah. they were just yeah. crammed in more stupidity. of limitations to work, you know, with the yeah. castle being shot different ways and the coconut like, no, even, as well. Even the zany shit like uh, stretching out... Um, What's his face? Lancelot's charge into the castle. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. And the drum roll in the back. Of <laughs> and actually, just before that is my favorite line. Not because it's like super funny, but just because it's so fucking stupid. Oh, message for you, sir. No. no. <laughs> <laughs> that was good. Before that, like, one day, lad, all of this will be yours. What, the curtains? Not the yes. curtains, lad. <laughs> all the lands and the guy, all you see before. Son, <laughs> I don't want none of that. What do you want then, son? I want, I want to... Uh, no, stop that. Stop that. You're not going to song when I'm around. <laughs> yeah, you could tell... You could tell that was meant to be for the TV show. Because yeah. that's very similar to the stop that, stop that, silly, silly, silly. <laughs> God, I love this movie so much. <laughs> we could spend three hours piece by piece. I just want to leave the apart. podcast right now and watch it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, same maybe, here, dude. Same maybe, here. You, maybe you guys take over. I'll be right back. <laughs> shit. Yeah, I, like, fuck work tomorrow. I'm going to just watch this <laughs> instead of actually doing shit. <sighs> Uh, I think like we're going to have to move on with the We should not re- ruin any more jokes. Yeah, we have to it. move on. And we have to move on to what 
a lot of people say is the best comedy movie of all time. And I have a hard time disagreeing. Me too. Life exactly. of Brian. Life of Brian. Which is probably the tightest story they've ever told. It's the only story they've ever told. It's yeah, the it's only one that had a linear narrative for Christ's sake. This is when they all I'm sorry, for Jehovah's sake. <laughs> and it's because they all sat down and said, okay, let's make a coherent satirical narrative. We're going to make a movie. As coherent as possible. Yeah. yeah. We're going to piss off a lot of vinegary old men on television. Because like, okay, so here's the fun part. We're not going to make fun of Jesus, but we're going to make fun of a guy next to Jesus. <laughs> no, I just the- happens to have stuff. You know, no, no, related like, to the Bible. It, sort of. The genius of quite. this entire movie can be summed up also by the opening, where it's literally you see, <laughs> you see Jesus on the mound, you know, uh, preaching. So far away. And then the first joke, speak up. <laughs> and you know, the three wise men okay, taking back this shit after giving it to the wrong people. What did he say? Yeah. The Greek? No, I think he meant the, the meek. meek. Oh, the meek. Yeah. The meek. <laughs> That's so, an art of beak. That's about the cheesemakers. What's so special about the cheesemakers? I don't think he means the cheesemakers there. I think he means all purveyors of dairy products. <laughs> Jesus Christ, this movie. Oh, no, my it's God. So <laughs> also, a bunch of quotables, too. Yeah, yeah. I love it. Dude, this is the movie that gave us biggest dickers. <laughs> <laughs> what are you guys It's probably the oh, best podcast pilot out there. What are you talking about? This is the shit, bro. <laughs> Oh my god! Uh, <laughs> and oh my god! But you have a super lowbrow moment, like biggest dickers, and the highbrow. But they're making fucking jokes about Latin grammar. Oh, Romani <laughs> and, and yeah. <laughs> it's like, people call the Romans. They go to their houses. It says Roman go home. No, it doesn't. <laughs> I Romani. <laughs> and the, the version is the, the little letter is pulling on Graham Chapman's ear and stuff. Yeah, it's like a school mom. <laughs> funny stuff. <laughs> no. Oh, I, think, I love anything to do with the Judean people's fronts. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what have no. Romans ever done for us? The aqueduct. Okay, besides aqueduct democracy, this is, but what have they really done for us? <laughs> uh, sanitation? Oh, sanitation. You have to remember what it was like before they came out. Oh, right, right. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Sanitation. <laughs> Apart from sanitation, education, the aqueduct. <laughs> Peace. Oh, peace. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> uh, and like we mentioned earlier on, the best closing music of all time. Yes. 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 Always looks on the right side of life. As a bunch of fucking crucified people start whistling and popping their heads. <laughs> Cheer up, lad. <laughs> Give a whistle and things will always turn out for the best. <laughs> It's like, I'm running the scenes in my mind right now and it's just Even the part me up. I can't up concentrate. to the end song as well. Those were, you know, moments of pure genius. When you think Brian's going to make it safe, no, he didn't. <laughs> That's not yeah. the punchline right there. Yeah. You got, uh, and finally, we get to see the people Judea's front. The Judea yeah, people's up, front. Yes. Yeah, they come not in. the people's front of Judea. Yeah. 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 <laughs> you know, I thought you were about to say you can finally get to see the penis. <laughs> oh, yeah. We got to One see of my favorite moments of nudity. Just... Bam! Full frontal nudity hey. in front of 500 people. No. Hail the Messiah! <laughs> he's not the Messiah! He's, he's a, a very, very naughty, naughty boy. boy! Yes, he's the Messiah! <laughs> Something like that. <laughs> uh, and who are you? I'm his mother. Hail the Messiah's mother! Ah, don't be there to get me, Radler! <laughs> oh my god. 
Yeah, I'm definitely gonna skip work tomorrow and watch more Monty Python. <laughs> Don't I have mean, work tomorrow, surely. I do have work tomorrow. Oh, Jesus. No, I love the fact that it's like, I mean, you can look at, uh, a lot of people will look at, say, Holy Grail and Life of Brian as uh, two sides of the same coin. Because one is def- definitely more zany and one is definitely more structured and a little bit more, uh, I would say, concentrated, right? Mm-hmm. And I don't know, it's like, there's always that argument along among the, the Python fans, which is superior film. Which I think is missing the point. Which is exactly missing the point because they're, it's them showing off what they could do and it's them showing off what they really wanted to do it's two different exercises one is just like this is what we would have done this with is our, us yeah, and our TV best if we had a movie ish I mean, budget yeah, you have to also like take into consideration the fact is like uh, how many films have we made before this no this is the first one yeah, yeah. a first proper film without relying to like relying on all the sketches and like then an you also product. you also need to ask like, okay uh, it's your first movie uh, who's directing is uh, we are <laughs> like, yeah. two of us in fact the two Terrys yes. and you have to think to yourself is like huh. <laughs> think about that undertaking right suck yeah. it Orson Welles and getting yeah George <laughs> no. fucking Harrison to make his own production studio to help them make it well wow. you know what thank you George Harrison if it wasn't for you I wouldn't get this heap because yeah. dicks. you are definitely <laughs> the best people for that yeah. nah, it's juvenile but I don't care it's so funny I'm trying to think. I was going to say something else, but I got derailed. Uh, the next movie? Or no, 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 no. It was still about Life of Brian. I think what? that one bit as well when um, Brian said, now, f- okay, I'm the Messiah, now fuck off. And then after that <laughs> long pause, how do you want us to fuck off? Yeah, that's, I don't know, that line just got to be like laughing really hard. They're eating my juniper berries! <laughs> and then Terry <laughs> Jones in his <laughs> random, <laughs> more it's random tough. nudity. Uh yeah, this is definitely like, oh yeah, we don't have to worry about censors anymore. We're gonna do whatever the fuck we want. Yeah, no, it's a but they had to worry. Yeah. But they had to worry about something else. Oh yeah, because it got banned in so many countries. <laughs> not, not only that, but I do recall. Did you see that interview on British television where John Cleese had to defend it against some random like priest and some? No, room? no, it was Palin. Oh, okay. Both this is why we got angry, the, right? And it's funny, oh, yeah, because oh. it was the first time Palin got very, very angry on like. And television. he's the sweetest one. Yeah, because he's always a, such a, a lovely, smiley dude. And he was like, I think, red and shaking with anger. Like, he didn't raise his voice, but you could see, like, it's like, oh my god, people are so stupid. We are not criticizing Jesus. We're, We're not crit- criticizing the Bible. We are making fun of how people blindly follow religion. Like, we are doing you a favor. And priests are like, oh, but it's blasphemous. Like, Oh my god, you guys are so stupid. No, look, if you were to... uh, The problem with this 10th rate film... (laughs) That guy. Fuck that guy. (laughs) Who turned out to be a pedophile. (laughs) Well, what a fucking surprise, eh? (laughs) A priest, a pedophile. Never. That's the the, the brilliant thing about this. uh, These two people were chastising fucking like Graham... uh, No, sorry. John Cleese and Michael Palin on TV. And it was so weird because it was... They were like playing to the crowd and being total assholes. And it's like, it's freaking Cleese and Palin using just cold heart logic and empathy. Because like, people are like, are oh, they just like silly comedians? What do they know? Oh, no, no, we graduate, graduated with honours from Oxford and Cambridge. Don't fuck with us. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I mean, master debaters they are. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> had to do that joke, I'm sorry. But uh, yeah, yeah. But, oh, yeah, they had to like block a masturbation joke from one of the sketches. You know, it was the one joke that they cut out, which I, I was hoping, like, I've seen the footage and it's like, oh man, if only, if only they were brave enough, was uh, the Jewish Nazi. Oh, <laughs> yeah, that's definitely ahead of its time. <laughs> you, thought, you thought this movie had complaints. Wasn't Chapman Jewish? Huh? 
Yeah, I think so. Chapman yeah. was definitely Jewish. It was. I think it was Idol was playing uh, the, the the Jewish Nazis. Yeah, maybe that's why they had to cut it. I mean, but I, I think also like what they did practice good taste because like, I think they understood that they, eh, they had their limits. But I think it took them by surprise what they were being crucified for, literally. <laughs> yeah, I think it's because like they literally like. You know, went out their way to not make it a lazy satire of Jesus. Which could have been easy. Yeah, yeah I mean, it's very, very easy because material's there. <laughs> no, you just needed to shift the character and the camera just one step to the next guy. Yeah, and to be honest, Jesus actually comes off fairly well in most of the movie. No, I think Palin did also mention in his in, in that great debate was like, look, there are people with the, who are devout Christians who came in, had a jolly good time and left with their religion intact. And I was like, yeah, and to me, it's like, I mean, to me, that was also probably why, when I mentioned earlier that this is the movie that turned me on to atheism, was like, yeah. It made you lose your religion. I I didn't have one at the point. And the thing is, is like, because I was kind of pressured here in Singapore to have one. Because it was something that they could, like, a lot of my younger friends couldn't grasp around the fact, it's like, how could you not have religion? Then it's like... I mean, you have to understand as a brown kid in Singapore growing mm-hmm. up 12 years old and everybody's saying like, I can't be friends with Shafiq, he's going to burn in hell one day. Oh, I'm sure that must have been so much fun. Yeah. And that's yeah. the strange thing. I enjoyed it because the thing is, is like, yeah, but logically, I don't know. But it was that, you know, it wasn't even validation. It was like, you can't think this way. Yeah. And it's like, the thing is, if you, what I appreciate definitely about the Python on the personal level is the fact that these were studied, intelligent, funny, well-spoken and like successful individuals who spoke out against like the the crimes and the fallacies of like you know the texts and dogmatic uh, followers and the fact of the matter is like that is also one of the like that was the most punk rock thing ever yeah which like it turned me on to the fact that like you can think in different ways you don't have to follow the crowd and I don't know I mean for me it was definitely I mean, not only an influence on like the comedy I appreciate or the kind of jokes I tell, and I tell some really rough ones. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Blame the Pythons. Yep. Yeah. It's about pushing boundaries, motherfuckers. But also at the same time, it's like, no, if you do it with thoughtfulness and if you do it with a certain kind of... I mean, yeah, sure, it's timing. Sure, it's also the choice of words and sure, it's your premise, your context, your punchline. But then also at the same time, it's like, if you, if you just sprinkle in that amount of intelligence... You know, you win anybody over. <laughs> yeah, I mean, smart comedy will stand a test of time no matter what. But not all. Some of it can be too smart for its own good. Yeah. Well, like, I mean, like ahead it, of its time, maybe. Yeah, but, you yeah. know, you, it becomes like a cult thing afterwards. True that. I mean, like, there's something about Python and why I say that this one, like, the films definitely are eternal. I mean, much also the TV show. The TV show, I think that if you really, really love their humor, you, there's a lot to be in it, but. A lot of sketches are very fucking dated. And a bit long in the tooth and uh, a lot yeah. literally go nowhere because money. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I want to say this also about the Pythons and like probably like you know the hypothesis or what we need to really wrap our heads around is the fact that um, there is a necessity especially in this day and age right for comedy to be structured again. I would say like if you watch a lot of uh, what passes off for comedy now, especially in the Hollywood variety, right? Mm. It's just people riffing and just people trying it's to just land improvisational that improvisational shit. Yeah, but in, like the and the genius of the Pythons is like you think that that's random as fuck. It's not. It's very it's, very carefully constructed. It's structured, rehearsed, and then like even like when it comes to pronunciation, even the rhythms of the words they use, is like it's practiced. 
You know what I mean? Which would influence definitely. I mean, the def- the influence would definitely be very evident, like Black Adam. Oh yeah. You know, like yeah. like when you hear freaking Rowan Atkinson say like, "Oh, you're both as useful as a doorknob on a turnip." Like <laughs> that is pure Python. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, and like I don't know, and I'm oh man, like the more we talk about this, I just fucking miss this kind of comedy. Problem is that it's expensive to hire screenwriters. True that, but it's but also you can like, see. I mean, sure, that part, of, that bit of comedy making all this is you know long gone per se. But at least you can see traces of it in other shows or even animation per se. Yeah, but, I guess it, it still exists. I think it's mainly on the uh, internet where you see it. Yeah, I mean, Tim and Eric sketches. Well, that, uh, that's like experience. where it started. Yeah. But like, you know, even shit like Rooster Teeth. It's a very pale comparison, but. But still, like, you see, like, the elements of... Like, I mean, like, even in, like, those, f- like, f- fucking Old Spice commercials, that's pure Python. Yeah. The surreality and just how zany and batshit nuts it is. I mean, you could claim that Bruce's coffee was the inspiration of that, but... Also that, too. Yeah. I don't oh, know. Damn, those, those it, the trickle-down goes a long way, boys. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, like, to me, like, I mean, I would also look at... Uh, I like the fact that there are still those who try to carry the torch. I mean, uh, no feeling in the mighty bush, for example. Yeah, mm-hmm. definitely was... the IT crowd had semblance of that. Oh yes, too. bits of it. It, yeah, it had yeah. elements of it. Uh, I mean, Grey Lantern is nowhere near as funny as he thinks he is, but there's definitely mm. elements of real fantastic Python-esque humor there. True that. Man. Anything Iowadi does. Yeah, Iowadi yeah. <laughs> is definitely like you know, calm Perry Jones. Yeah, I see that more. <laughs> Which is why you should do more nudity, I bet. <laughs> uh, I'm not sure anyone's ready for that. Ayawadi? Uh, can you imagine a naked Ayawadi? Yeah, it's the same as his head. <laughs> <laughs> it's the same bush, exactly. The master yeah, of deflecting. With the square, yeah. <laughs> the angle too. <laughs> is that what we're going for? He, he combs it to the side as well. <laughs> I think watching that one Channel 4 interview, that Indian uh, in, inter, uh, interviewer with Ayawadi was actually kind of funny. Indian interview, which one? Christian uh, Channel 4. Uh, oh, the guy who got shot down by Tarantino? That's the guy, yes. That yeah. same guy. Oh, okay. I mean, yeah. like, he's not a bad journalist, but sometimes he tries he to be... He can be very baity. Oh, he's no, that's headline. the whole point. That, he know, likes he's trapping people. Like, he also tried to do that to Danny Jr., which was very unfair. Oh, yeah. where he talked yeah. about his alcoholism and drug abuse, right? And his father. It's like, just like sprung on him. It's like, I didn't say this was fine. We're talking about a fucking Avengers movie. This is, yeah, this is a TV ad. Yeah. yeah. I mean... I don't know. He there's definitely some like professional courtesy he needs to kind of brush up. Yeah, on. I mean, but like when he um, springs traps on um, politicians, that's when I like him. Uh, yeah, but like, whenever he's uh, like had to like do it to um, like what's his face, Rismog, that was very entertaining. But anyway, meaning of life. Oh yeah. Uh, so the final Python movie, meaning of life. Um, it's the most expensive one. And there's definitely moments which you I can like. see in the budget. Yeah. There's a lot more singing, come to think of it. Right? Uh, yes, yeah. <laughs> yes, it is. I think because they they realize how much money selling uh, the the bright side of life uh, made. Mm-hmm. So I just said, "All right, let's uh, let's uh, let me get." Let's going. have another hit song, huh? Yeah, and every to be fair, sperm every sperm is sacred is <laughs> fucking killer. Yes, dude, just leading up vi- to the people just, marching on just the street. The <laughs> visual of the children on the rooftops yeah. dancing. And yeah. singing, oh wow! And, yeah, like the lead up is brilliant. It's oh. just like the ultimate screwing of like a Catholic uh, family up in the north. Oh, really? no, if I were to sheath my <laughs> my, my cock with a sort of prophylactic, <laughs> oh, we can't do that. <laughs> I love that. Moment. Um, to me, yeah, meaning of life does suffer from being a little bit weaker because 
it felt more like a lo- like the, the like the director who was directing this was it Gilliam and Jones again or is it just Jones? I think it was just Jones. Like Jones was definitely the less visual of the two, and I felt like he was kind of carrying the load for Gilliam in a sense because th- this was definitely their most visual of the movies. It you could see it in the in the, in the setups and I mean in the scenery and definitely in the special effects. Yes. All of a sudden they have special yeah. effects, and I think it might also be that how the fuck do you follow up like O'Brien? With the machine that goes ping. <laughs> yeah, I mean, good sketch, good sketch, but you know, it would have worked just as fine in uh, the TV show. I think this was definitely them calling it a day. For yeah. sure. I mean, like, there's a reason why Cleese left originally in '71, mm. and then 12 years later, he probably realized, oh yeah, this is why I left. I mean, but it was a good run. I would agree. It was a very good run, and after Meaning of Life, we got to see uh, what Cleese would do when he left. Oh, and we yes. got faulty fucking towers, which deserves its own episode as well. <laughs> in yeah, the future, we, in the future, we have to do it. We and, could just, and do... the episode might be longer than the actual run of the show. <laughs> it, fuck it, fucking might well be. Ah, <sighs> yeah, and you can definitely see like where he honed his craft in Monty Python and like, brought it to faulty towers. Okay. Because the... even though it's meant to, it's fairly coherent, and it is based upon a really bad experience he had at a B and B somewhere in the UK. <laughs> What a really fucking rude hotel manager. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, it's, it's still got a weird <laughs> like flights of fancy. Look, anytime there's a dead body on that show, it's just fucking hilarious. Oh, God. <laughs> we'll definitely have to do a Faulty Towers episode. Yeah. Hazel! <laughs> Angry Cleese at his finest, definitely. Oh, man. <laughs> Absolutely. And... Uh, you know, it's not like uh, the other Pythons were, you know, sitting on their ass. Like, you know, Gilliam had a little bit of a career. Like, he made directing some of the greatest films of all time. I yeah. mean, like, yeah, just small movies like I don't know, Brazil, Twelve Monkeys, Twelve Monkeys, Monkeys yep. Time, time Bandits, Bandits. Um, and then like you know, you no know, small Oscar-worthy fur like The Fisher King or, uh, and yeah. and he has a movie out supposedly. You know, actually, what happened to that movie also is ridiculously stupid. What Don Quixote? Yeah, it, it, it's still in production ish. No, it's finished. Is it? It's finished, but the problem is it's the rights to the film and its distribution got fucked over. Oh. And now the world will still never see it. The, yeah. the, the La Mancha curse goes on still. That poor bastard. And the thing is, I think it was Adam Driver who finally took on the role. Yeah, because it was going to be Johnny Depp and then. Yeah, and it had a festival run. And yeah. people uh. saw it. it. No, it couldn't be Johnny. No, Johnny Depp was supposed to be it way back. When he promised him... I think this was just after the third Pirates. No, it was the trade-off with Fear and Loathing. Oh, yeah. That, oh, God. That's a very long time ago. Yeah. That, this movie has is his dream project since he started. It was like Jabberwocky, uh, Time Bandits, Brazil, uh, Baron Munchausen. And then it's like... You know, and then, oh, man. That guy was peak visual brilliance. Still yeah. hands down. Uh, like, one yeah, of the greatest Baron of all Munchausen, time. Baron Munchausen, man. Damn. Terry Gilliam needs his own episode where we just talk about his films. Even the shitty Grim Brothers one, which I will apologize for. Well, I didn't Brothers, get to see that one, though. Like, how, it's, I mean, how, it's okay. It's an okay action fantasy flick. It definitely... Uh, I think that it was weak on, on the scripts. Nah, it was basically he had to, like, churn something out because he needed to fund Parnassus. Uh, and then like which was also which is also a, no but then you have to understand Ledger died halfway yeah which kind of like you know props for them continuing I mean like all his best friends took over yeah it was that's like, true Jude Law Colin Farrell uh, Johnny Depp also and uh, it got us Andrew Garfield which you know I guess is like something 
Was it? Was that his debut? Yeah, that's actually. I think that was his debut. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Oh yeah, I think you're right. Huh? Hmm. Well, well, the kid still finds work here and there, I guess. Yeah, I, I mean, he was good. the fourth best Spider-Man. <laughs> that's not saying yeah. much. But under the Silver Lake, that was. Nah, I'll, I'll put him below like the animated Spider-Man. Yeah. Oh, 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 yeah. No, that. And the Spider-Man for Electric Company. Oh yeah. wow! <laughs> sure, sure. Uh, okay. Yeah. I don't know. Uh. Wait, How about we want to talk about the other Python cast as well, like post-Python? Like uh, Eric yeah. Idle? I mean, Eric Idle uh, leaned more into music. Like I mean, all Russell's. of them kind of had brief movie careers because like, if you if you have like guys like Gilliam and Jones out there still doing work. Uh, I mean, but I think what we're all kind of alluding to is the fact that uh, this is when we lost one of the greatest of all time, yeah. Mr. Graham Chapman. Died in 89. Um because there was like a brief union in 1988 where they did a retrospective about the dead parrot sketch mm. but then he finally succumbs to yeah uh, the damage he did to his own body yeah, it was was it alcohol poisoning and liver damage I think it was a cancer related to uh, liver poisoning yeah but um, it was it led to probably the funniest funeral he put the fun in funeral is that what we're doing well yeah because you know it starts off with John Cleese saying now most people take the chance here to say that uh, we've lost a dear friend and they departed frankly I can say good riddance and thank god he's gone the bastard <laughs> and he liked to say he was the first one to say shit on British television well I'm the first one to say fuck <laughs> he will and be they me. sang always look on the bright side of life you know what's the beautiful thing about that is just like seeing how a tender eulogy and is like and then that realization, especially as all the pythons lit up, and they realize he's like, "Nah, this is how you send them off." Absolutely. And then they went on a talk show and brought his ashes. <laughs> they and kicked, kicked it, it over. over. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Which works out for the best, I guess, yeah, because, because finding uh, a troop at that same era might be a bit tough. Because when Monty Python kind of formed, that was more like the stars aligning per se, right? Yeah. It was like when you bring in like a new frontman to an established band, it's like, yeah, it's still good. No, but, but a lot of people had established it. Like even Rowan Atkinson like took over once in a while. Which, I mean, I try to imagine Atkinson and Cleese working together and that's... I think they work very well together. I mean, they're both they're direct bo- descendants of Peter Cook. They're also mm-hmm. both quite arrogant, intelligent uh, people who are a bit on the stuffy side. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I've, yeah. I, I've seen uh, Black Adder rehearsals where he really takes that shit seriously. Oh yeah, no, Ackerson is actually a bit of a moody bastard. But those are the guys who are yeah, usually Tony the funniest. Yeah, Tony Robinson was the funny one, <laughs> like between the scenes. No, but I love the fact that they, they, he could play uh, what they call the foil. Yeah. And then like, the, and with the genius was like, no, 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 switch the idiot. Yeah. It's funny Ma- when Baldrick's, Baldrick is, when Baldrick's the idiot. If Baldrick's the smartest one, it doesn't quite work. You know, like, season two onwards is pure genius. Also, they stopped uh, shooting it on site and shot it on the um, soundstage. Like, oh, this is cheaper. And we can control the sound a bit Okay, better. look, we also definitely need to do a full Black Adder episode. Absolutely. I will, I will defend the use of film for the first one for one of the greatest visual jokes of all time when he accidentally cuts the, uh, the king's head off and <laughs> tries to resuscitate him. <laughs> <laughs> it's like this this show is fucking brilliant yeah but that's the thing like just like how a no Beatles reunion is possible after Lennon's death like you can't have a proper they've had a few though yeah. <laughs> they've had a few well, because, <laughs> yeah because they lost a legal case so they had to go back on tour <laughs> <laughs> right I, I think the last thing they all worked together on was absolutely anything mm. which is when there were five aliens giving no no they're doing something right now are they yeah which one they're they're organizing some event where they're getting all the what do you call the guy with the handkerchief on his head, the Gumbies. 
There's a oh, oh, you're the gummies again. <laughs> no, and here's the thing. I, I think quite recently they 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 they're attempting a world record at the most gummies in one single location, and the pythons all would show up. Um, and I, I think a million like English guys are gonna do it. And they, I, I would, I would be tempted to join. Look it, it up. It's 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 an event. They got they got they're going to have the the most amount of gumbies, and then like they're encouraging everybody to come dressed up as gumbies. They even have gumby starter kits that you can like. <laughs> there's instructions to download on like Facebook too. Of course, look like, it up. The pythons are still. Nah, I mean, I wouldn't even say squeeze. Never gone and ever. never forgotten. Definitely. There's uh, that's that's the thing that they're still kicking, and that you can kind of sense that like these fuckers love doing what they do. Yeah, but also at the same time, like we've lost one, and like we also need to kind of elephants in the room. Yeah, so poor Terry Jones, who is actually, I mean, I follow like uh, Michael Pillen on Facebook, right? And then like he's the one who's constantly uh, checking on his old friend, and then like he's actually entering the worst parts of dementia, where he really can't even remember, like you know how how to function as a person. It was heartbreaking when he got that lifetime award at the BAFTAs. Yeah, and you see he didn't and, have his like facilities with you him. you could tell that he was happy and he wanted to say that how he felt. glint in the eye, but, but he, he couldn't. couldn't. And so his son had to speak for him and I honestly teared up seeing that. It was so, so sad to see. Fuck cancer, fuck dementia, fuck, yeah. fuck dying. Seriously, so uh, you... You better believe we're going to give some kind of tribute uh, when, uh, unfortunately, the time does come. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, thank you, uh, Terry Jones, for giving us just some of the best comedy this world has ever seen. Yeah. And also, <laughs> some fantastic educational documentaries. And Eric the Viking. Yeah. And some of the best nudity ever. <laughs> <laughs> yes, thank you. Why for- are you always naked, sir? <laughs> thank you for that scene where you take off your wire fronts and use it as a sling to hit a giant penguin with tentacles. Ah, <laughs> <sighs> uh, man. So, I mean... Uh, is this it? Is this how we wrap up our loving tribute to Monty Python and wishing them a happy 50th? Uh, yep, I believe I, so. I think we can just... Like, On this day, the <laughs> in the year of our Lord Chapman. Sure. Hey, actually, it's, almost been, it's been 30 years since the passing of Chapman. Yeah. Wow, it's been 50 years since the start, uh, 30 years since kind of the end. So this is not SEO Wankery. We actually love these guys so yeah, much. Yeah, no, like there's... there's They're always going to be re- relevant no matter what in the end. I can't wait, industry. yeah. Yeah. I mean, they're timeless. Basically, uh, bottom line is, if you ever meet someone who says, oh, I don't really like Python, don't fuck trust off. them. <laughs> Just them fuck they off. are either... Convert deli- them. They're, they're probably... Well, if you could, yeah. They're definitely dumb if they say they don't get it. Because, like, yes, it is satire. Yes, there's some elements of, like, you need to be in on a joke. But a lot of it is just, like, visual gags. Yeah. Like, really, I know. mean, when you see those animation shorts, like, you know, like, the cut-ins and everything in a TV show, you know it's from Python because it's just so distinct, honestly. Or just shit like the fish duel. Yes. <laughs> where, fish slapping dance, right? Yeah, yeah. whereas Michael Palin slapping, I think it's Cleese in the face with two little kippers, and he pulls out a sardine and just whams him into a canal. <laughs> Which, by the way, was at low tide, so yes. Palin nearly died doing that sketch. <laughs> Crazy stuff. Hey, that's the best kind of TV, when people nearly die making comedy. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think closing statements is uh, do you think we're ever going to have someone like the Pythons? It'll take several lifetimes hopefully yeah. maybe. Not, I not can't tell. lifetime definitely. Like maybe, maybe when I'm like when I'm old and grey I think we might have like some upstarts who do something similar. Yeah but like what if it, the, the chance of that just the It sh- is. It has to be such a wonderful like 
mixture of things. It has to be opportunity, means cultural zeitgeist, all meshing together. Not even only that, but the fact of the matter is like, you know, these six assholes met through all sorts of circumstances. They Which, knew each other. Yeah. Which doesn't exist these days. Like you don't have like the frost report anymore. You don't have, but it still exists, but not to the same level like the review clubs. I mean, like Cambridge. the only thing that I can probably equate it to is like maybe like six YouTubers with the same kind of zany sense of humor. But then comes the other problem where like oh you're trying to be like the Pythons. Then the pill they just pill in comparison. Comes in. Yeah. Yeah. Really you know, sucks. and the thing is, right, like, even if you compare Python to their influence, influences, the Goon Squad, no, they are definitely another stratosphere. For sure, you know? because, like, the Goons were great, but they were never stratospheric, because mm. they all became more famous for the other shit they did. True that, yeah. This is gonna be the most difficult thing. What is the best sketch? Of all. Of all. Can I go first? Go ahead. Yeah, go Span- ahead, go ahead. Spanish Inquisition. <laughs> okay. I was not expecting that. <laughs> Nobody expects the Spanish Inquisition. <laughs> now we shall torture you with the comfy, comfy chair. cushion. The comfy chair. <laughs> God damn. And the rack. <laughs> the fucking tish I mean, I can't choose. I can't choose, but that, that's, that's the one that is like, you know what? Even like the popular ones which have been done to the ground, like the dead parrot sketch. Still, are so funny. <laughs> this is, this is. I think, my, I think my personal. <laughs> is the pining it's passed on. <laughs> I think my personal favorite is still the one we discussed earlier on, the self-defense against fruit. Because again, <laughs> the punchlines, everything. They just. I mean, you weren't expecting it the first time you're watching it. In the end, so. how are you gonna defend yourself against a piece of fresh fruit with right, a pointed yeah, stick? stick. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> I mean, honestly, for me, it depends on my mood. Um, one that I love coming back to is the cheese up sketch. Mm-hmm. That's because also a classic. It's just weird. <laughs> uh, just a guy coming in with three guys playing a balalaika and asking for various cheeses, mm. and he doesn't have the cheese, and then he shoots him, and that's the joke. <laughs> and you're just watching, going, this is really funny, and I can't explain why. And you try and show it to someone else, and like, I don't get it. It's like, I don't know how to explain this to you. Yeah. It's just, it's it just funny. Is. Yeah. You have you have to experience it. Yeah, and I think it's partly because it's just lo- uh, giving these crazy ass names of cheeses, and they're all real cheeses. Yes, they are. They're not made up. It's just John Cleese saying, "I am more cultured than you. I name five hundred <laughs> kinds of cheese." Which kind of fits with his whole like arrogant persona. I mean, which. He what do you mean segment. persona? That's him. That's yeah, him. that's him. Yes, that's him. It's just basically John Cleese like being himself. Cubes. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I was hoping you'd say something more like upper class tweet of the year. Oh, God. <laughs> I think that'll be your favorite, right? It? It's one of my favorites. Too. I can think of a lot. I, I, I yeah. even like the the, the philo- philosopher's football match. <laughs> and Socrates, <laughs> you're very good. <laughs> and he just scores. <laughs> or the final going on industrial action. <laughs> like, they like, uh, they have a, uh, a trade union meeting and it is uh, you know they all vote apart from one as potential as the Venus and Milo because she has no arms <laughs> like a visual gag with fine art how can you not love Monty Python you, 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 yeah you can you can't not love Monty yeah Python. exactly yeah so shall we wrap it up boys we're I gonna have so, to yeah. yes yeah uh, we're finishing much like Monty Python's just petering out and just moving on Yep, I'm gonna move on and talk about boring shit like video games and car yeah. movies. So. Oh yeah, <laughs> uh, SEO chasing, unfortunately. <laughs> so can't wait to discuss Gemini, man. Fuck that. <laughs> uh, no, we're not. No, we're not. I don't think so. No. 
So, uh, yeah. Uh, so just, yeah, thank you, Monty Python. This has been Eccentric Tom. This has been Sir not appearing in this film, ever. Oh, God. And this has been every sacred sperm ever. <laughs> <laughs>